Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so stoked. I'm talking to David Gilman. He's a user experience manager at Google in New York, New York City, but also he's a volunteer EMT at a local fire department. So I wanted to bring David on, kind of talk about how he got into this world of volunteer EMT and what sort of drew him to that and like what how that experience has been. Um, I think he has a really interesting story to tell. And um, yeah, so David, welcome to, welcome to the show. How are you? Nicole, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am well. I have um, been lucky enough um, for the past couple of years of the pandemic um, to be um, in a rural town in upstate New York with my wife where we've been able to work remotely um, and live in the woods, uh, which also leads into to how I became a, a volunteer EMT. So I'm doing okay. Um, I've been really lucky uh, throughout the past couple of years to be able to say that. Mm. Well, I'm drinking coffee, but I'm going to say cheers. Cheers to that. That, that sounds lovely. That sounds good. Um, I am so curious. You know, you how did you decide you have this life of, you know, working at Google and then how did you decide like, Oh, Hey, I want to be a volunteer EMT. So I, um, I'm an outdoors person and I lived for a while on the West coast. And when I moved to Seattle, um, and was working, um, for another tech company in that's based in Seattle, um, I found out that you could do volunteer search and rescue. And I thought that was really interesting. I really like helping people. I'm in my job um, as a, a, a UX, a user experience program manager. My job is basically to help the team. Um, I was like, oh, well, I could actually help people um, just out in the world. And because I like backpacking and hiking, it all worked together. And so I started doing, I started the training uh, with, King County Search and Rescue, Volunteer Search and Rescue, to do that. And we were doing a searcher first aid class, and we were learning some really basic, like, splinting um, and vital checking. And I think we were, like, messing around or something, because the woman who was just another volunteer was getting a little frustrated, and she said, hey, you guys need to understand 
somebody's going to call 911 and you're going to be the person who shows up. <laughs> and that really struck me. Um, and I was like, wow, that's like, like a real, something I never thought about before. Right. I'm, um, I, I work in tech. I'm, I don't work. I'm not a first responder. I don't work in healthcare. So I, I was just thinking about that and it really struck me. And unfortunately, um, I left Seattle shortly after finishing my training. So I didn't actually get to do too many missions um, with uh, Explore Search and Rescue. But then we moved to New York and then we moved to this rural town and we were um, driving to our house and I went by the fire station and it said volunteers needed. We will train you. Oh, cool. Enticing. Enticing. Um, and so we had just moved um, because of the pandemic. Um, to this rural town and I didn't know anybody. And I knew when I had done search and rescue in Seattle that it also built some community for me with people. And so I thought it would be really interesting to join. And one of the big things I had taken away from, from doing search and rescue was um, you get to do more stuff if you have skills. They always want volunteers, they always need more people, but if you have some skills, you get to do things that are more interesting. So in joining the fire department, it seemed that I could either learn how to be an EMT or learn how to be a firefighter. And um, probably a little bit past the point in my life where I want to run into burning buildings. Um, but also I thought that being an EMT would give me skills that would be more useful just like in my everyday life in either like doing the sort of fun hiking and backpacking and climbing stuff I do or just walking down the street, which just to give like a... Um, my wife and I were, were traveling this weekend and we were with some friends outside a coffee shop and a gentleman was walking across the street and like just collapsed in the middle of the street. And I hadn't seen it because my back was turned, but her friend was like, oh, that, that guy just felt like, I, I wonder if we should help him. And I was just like, of course we should help him. And I walked over and it ended up that he um, had tripped. He had a prosthetic leg mm. and he had tripped, but it was not as bad as sort of just collapsing in the middle yeah. of the street. We took care of him. But I was like, oh, like I felt comfortable helping this person because of my EMT training. That's so really great. That's um, why, like one of the reasons I became a, a volunteer EMT. First of all, can I just thank you? I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a volunteer EMT. I'm a nurse, you know, but I get paid to do the work that I do. <laughs> I but you paid. don't get paid enough. Oh, God bless you. Everybody who's listening is like, thank you. <laughs> but the fact that you do this, you know, you give your time. I just, I'm just, I, I love it. So what was the training like? Um, the training was um, frighteningly short for somebody <laughs> who's going to show up when you call 911. Um, so... The, the training for an EMT um, obviously depends on, you know, you can do like eight hours a day and do it really quickly. Um, this was twice a week for three hours a night and some Saturdays for about 12 weeks. Um, I, I want to say anatomy and physiology was like one or maybe two, three hour classes. And that was it. Um, so it's not a lot of training and a lot of the, a lot of it is, you know, book training very little sort of you do like some skills that are really rote obviously like you learn to check a pulse and take a blood pressure um and you know vaguely listen to lung lung sounds um but really what you i think are trying to learn is walking onto a scene and 
is this person sick or are they not sick? Do you need to do an intervention to, to like try to keep them alive now or can you get them in the ambulance into the hospital? Um, mm-hmm. For some for some context for where I'm a volunteer EMT, so we um, we only have EMTs in my rescue squad, and when somebody in my town calls 911, they dispatch us, and they also dispatch a paid ambulance uh, paramedic service. So, if there's a paramedic available, which is not always the case, you know that there's a paramedic coming. So you have somebody who has um, more skill. Um, and a larger scope who can can help you out. Um, sometimes we don't get a paramedic and we get on scene and we drive really fast to the hospital, um, which for us is like 20 or 25 minutes. That's from a long, somebody. that could be a very long time. Yes, um, that can definitely be a long time, um, especially too, so as an EMT, um, I can give you oxygen that's about it. Um, I can't start an IV. Um, I can't give you nitro if you're uh, having an MI, um, if you're not, if you haven't already been prescribed it by your doctor. Um, so I can give you some baby aspirin um, and I can give you some oxygen and we can drive really fast. I can't walk into the ED with an EKG to say what's going on. Um, for the nurses who are listening, who work in the ED, if the person comes in and it says EMT on their shirt, that's why they haven't started a line. That's why they don't have an EKG to give you. We, we just can't do that. Right. Okay. But you can do CPR. Yes, we, we, we can do CPR. We carry an AED. Uh, cool. we, don't, we don't have a full monitor, but we have an AED. We can do CPR. Um, sometimes it's just you in the back of the ambulance. Um, so there's somebody driving the ambulance and then there's you in the back because it right we're volunteers. So sometimes a call happens on like seven o'clock on a Thursday. There might be a ton of people who are available to go to that call. A call happens at two o'clock, though, while everybody's at work. Um, we have less people who respond. Hmm. If we, let's say you have a call. And I don't know, are, do you have like maybe it doesn't go exactly the way or maybe you have questions about how it went or whatever do you you have the ability to like debrief with anybody so i am so obviously it's a everybody who is part of the fire department is volunteer um i think that we are very lucky in my department that we have a really really great chief well let me just say everybody in my department is really great Um, but i think the chief and our rescue captain um, really set a great tone for being able to reach out with questions. Um, our chief is also a paramedic himself, and he is the chief of like one of the paid paramedic services in the town next door. Um, so he spends a lot of time thinking about this stuff outside of just being the volunteer chief. And so, yes, um, so one of the reasons um, that Nicole and I know each other is that I had um, a really hard call and a doctor friend of mine, um, who actually Nicole had on the show, uh, Dr. Heisert, um, said to me, you should listen to my friend's podcast because she talks and deals with this stuff all the time. Um, and what was great was A, to, to, to find your podcast, but B, after that call, um, people texted me in the department, hey, David, just want to check in, let us know if you want to talk. Um, so there is a lot of support and there is a lot of um, openness to, hey, we have professionals you can talk to um, as well. Um, So that is there. 
Um, but I think the, the weird thing is I have this day job. Um, so I work at Google people, um, people in the fire department, um, who live in this rural town asked me what it's like working at Google. And I often describe it as working at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Um, that, that's the only way I can really describe it for mm -hmm. people who aren't familiar with um, the tech world, but sort of like everything you could possibly need or want is taken care of. Um, and you can just do your work um, and you're paid ridiculously well. Um, but it's this weird juxtaposition um, where I, um, I'm sitting at home and I was eating my lunch. And the way that we get dispatched is I have a pager and some tones drop and then a dispatch comes out and I'm eating lunch and a dispatch came out for a um, car into house CPR in progress. So I'm in this one sort of mental space of I'm eating my lunch and vaguely looking at my email. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in this other mental space of somebody just had a car accident and people are performing CPR. And so in this case, I jumped in my car and I drove down to the firehouse and hopped in the ambulance with some other people. And we drove to the scene. In this case, um, the scene was like on the edge of our district and another district with another volunteer fire department. So by the time we got there, they had, they sort of had been, they had uh, taken over CPR from the bystanders and they sort of had control of the scene. Um, but that happened. Um, it, um, unfortunately, the, the patient had, had passed away um, and then we got back in our ambulance and went back to our firehouse and I wrote a little bit of paperwork and then I had to go home and be on three hours of meetings. This is so weird. I'm just going to say that it's a very, that's very weird. It, it was, it was very, it was weird, like in 16 different ways. Um, it was weird because like, so I've been doing this, um, for about a year. So a, um, I live in a town of 5,000 people and most of the time people don't, don't need CPR and aren't dying on the side of the road. Um, yeah. So it's not something I have a huge amount of experience with. Um, it was weird in the, um, because we didn't, we didn't work the patient, we weren't part of the code. So we just sort of like showed up and we saw that this thing was going on. We chatted with a few people, like they had it under control. They didn't need our help. They had a, a Lucas on the patient that was, was doing the compressions. Um, and then we just sort of like got in our ambulance and left. Um, so that, that was like, weird. it was like this, this adrenaline to be ready. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to talk about that. I was thinking like, what is going through your mind? Like you so, say, first of all, I don't know when I, I was a stat nurse for a while and I had a pager and in the beginning days of me having the pager, like, oh my God, I was so jumpy. I would hear it go off and I'd be like, ah, and you know, and then I, I was in this like hyper alert state. And like, even like if I was like in a grocery store and it would hear overhead pages, I would think, oh my God, I gotta go. I gotta run. I gotta go somewhere. Do you, were you, do you, what happens to you when your pager goes off? So I, I think having had the pager for about a year, um, like the, adrenaline rush of the pager going off has definitely lessened. Um, but it's, it's always jarring. Um, the, the county we're in does sometimes does these announcements 
So the vibration of the pager will happen, but then you won't get the tones because it will just be like, we want to let you know about some meeting that's happening. But mm -hmm. I definitely get like a little bit of adrenaline when the vibration happens and yeah. then like this weird letdown when I'm like, oh, they're just making an announcement. Um, but I, you know, I think having done enough times of going, the pager goes off and I go out and it's a nice old lady or a nice old man who just needs to go to the hospital and we're going to take him to the hospital and everything's going to be fine. Um, has lessened it. Um, I do, um, me and a bunch of the other volunteer EMTs and ambulance drivers have a Sunday brunch, which is like really great support and community that one of the EMTs started. Um, I also have to say it's really weird um, to me that I'm somebody who's um, a little bit more advanced in my life and my mentors in our fire department are a like a mid thirties woman and a 22 year old woman. I um, love it. I love that. That is so beautiful. Um, and it's just like, they like, you know, they've been doing this. Um, one of them, um, you know, was a, a professional EMT and is now a volunteer. And the other one, you know, is a volunteer and you know, just, just graduated college last year and knows a lot more about being an EMT than I do. Um, so it's it's been weird to open myself up, but we we go to brunch and the brunch place has like a little pager that they give you that like vibrates and makes noise when your table's ready. <laughs> um, and we definitely like as we're hearing other people's pagers go off or our own, we'll have a little bit of jumpiness, <laughs> um, thinking that it's our pager. Yeah, that's um, that's funny. But it's it's. It's interesting. I was talking to one of the paid paramedics in the, the unit that's in the town next to us. Um, and they were saying sometimes with the volunteers that they find like that we, um, you know, maybe think like something doesn't have to go to the hospital where the person should go to the hospital or like we're just like in a weird place. And I was trying to explain to him like we're, you know, he works a 12 hour or 24 hour shift where he's sitting at the station waiting you know to go do calls and he is a professional paramedic like that is his job um and i was like and i'm you know sitting down to dinner with my wife and i'm in that headspace mm -hmm. and the pager goes off and so it's just it's just really weird juxtaposition and the other day when we had this call um where cpr was in progress i came back and just like had no no like space to decompress no no um like space in terms of like i needed to get on a call for work um no space in that um i don't have people around me i can talk to um, right because like we we do the calls and we go back to the firehouse and you know restock the ambulance and do some paperwork and then people like go back to their lives yeah i do think that is um I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that would, I, I know that headspace and that's a tough headspace to be. And then you're like talking to a bunch of people and like, yeah, it's totally normal. I just saw a guy die. Yes. <laughs> and, and, or, or, or I, I was saying to somebody, died. you know, I'll, I'll get on a call for work and, you know, usually, you know, we've all been working remote. So we try to be a little chatty before we start a meeting and usually somebody like, how's your day going? 
what have you been up to today? Or what do you do this weekend? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, um, I don't work in a hospital. I assume in a hospital it would be appropriate, you know, to say like, oh, you know, my, my patient died or, you know, we had to work this code. Yeah. Um, a little less appropriate when you get on your call at your office job. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that that that's um, a little harder. I, I um, so I've been doing this for a year, and um, I did have one code that I had to work where I was um, first on scene, and um, the patient was not doing great, but the patient was very much alive. And then in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, the patient very much was not alive. Um, mm. And I consider myself lucky that we had a paramedic with us. So I could just sort of like do the things the paramedic was telling me to do and not feel like um, I had to make, I feel like that decision to initiate CPR, like, well, wait, is there, is there a carotid pulse? Is there not a, right? would be like super scary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so um, luckily, like, I, I was really grateful that the paramedic was there and he said, you know, he was, he had, um, start an IV and intubate, you know, tried did an intubation attempt that didn't work. And it was like, yeah, we got like, you know, like had me listen for heart sounds. And was like, let's start CPR. Um, and I, that happened on a Friday. So then, you know, I had like the weekend and then, like I said, you know, people in the, the, the squad, you know, texted me and were checking in on me, which I was really grateful for. Um, but then like still, like I had nobody to, to like really, Talk to her. I called Dr. Heister as a friend of mine and and talked to her. Um, but I just don't have that community of people to like talk it out with. Yeah. In the same way. I'm sorry that that's a tough situation, you know, to experience. I don't. We always put. I I don't know about you, but I mean, when for me in situations like that, like you, know, I always feel like. Did I do it? Did I do it right? Did I do it enough? Did I? Did I? Was I? Did I do all the things right? I think you know. Oh, oh my just, gosh! Just like, like this bruise, like circle every, cycle. Every call. So again, like ninety-five percent of the calls I do are not acute, and every single call I do, I think about that. I think about um, you know, like oh, I should have asked about this. Or, oh, did I check that? Um, and I'm like, and, and these are people who, again, like probably if they lived five minutes away from the hospital would just get themselves to the hospital. But because they live 25 minutes away and because they're older or their partner doesn't drive and they're not ready to drive, like they, they have to have us take them. But I'm like constantly um, second guessing. And even with, um, with with this patient uh, where I was first on scene, I was like, oh, you know, I like I, I should have done X instead of Y uh, when I was on. Now I know, like intellectually, that none of this stuff would have made a difference, right? For this patient and their circumstances that we found them in, right? Um, but oh, I'm I I did that for the the story I told you about the the guy who was walking across the street who I just helped as a bystander. Mm-hmm. I was like in my head, like, oh, wait, I should have done this and I should have done that. And I, I didn't have, um, he, when he fell, he cut himself um, in the face uh, just superficially with his glasses. And so I was um, 
didn't want to get blood all over my hands and didn't have gloves with me because I was just having coffee. And I was like, oh, but I should have done, like, I'm constantly thinking that and have very few sort of examples, right? I don't get to watch a lot of other professional EMTs Mm -hmm. do their job. Yeah, I, um, no, I, you don't. Um, and again, I think, I think what I think is the, what is so great is that you've, you know, you put yourself in this wonder in this position anyway to help the community, which is, I mean, a beautiful thing. Um, I just want you to know, you know, I have a lot of ex- experience, you know, I, I have the, I still have those feelings, you know, so you know, I, I think people are in this, in the helping people industry, especially like this, um, we're, we're sort of, oh, I want to say somewhat perfectionist or we really want to make sure we're always doing the right thing. Um, yeah. And totally just as an aside, we all fumble around with, am I actually, is that a pulse? Is that not a pulse? Is that? Like, I remember like the first time someone who was way more experienced told me they're like, oh yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, not sure. I mean, you know, you think you feel it, you don't, you don't feel it. You think you, and you know what, if you can't find it and you're not really, really not sure. And the, like, you should just, I've decided just do CPR. If they aren't, you know, if they become, come to and whatever, get some cardiac output, they'll wake up and hit you and you just get off. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, yes, I guess a good way to see if somebody's conscious is to break their ribs. Uh, I mean, we don't want to do that. Of course, if, if they're really, but I mean, like you can tell, I mean, that person that you had, they, they would do, they were decompensating. They were, they, like they, you don't go from alive to dead unless there's something pretty seriously wrong with you. And they were on that path before you pick them up. Yeah, yes, a hundred percent. Um, and I think I have been lucky enough to not have been in a situation yet where I have to question like whether something I did or didn't do actually impacted the patient. And I like, I, I, um, I don't want to say I'm dreading cause I, it's not something I think about all the time, but I, you know, I know that, um, that the medics and, and nurses, right, with the scope of practice you have really are in a situation where potentially something you do or don't do is going to have this radical change um, for this patient. And I, like, I can't imagine, um, like, what will happen after I'm in that experience um, where I have to, like, Monday morning quarterback myself and wonder if I did the right thing or not. Mm. Yeah. What what advice do you you've been doing this for a while, Nicole? What advice do you tend to have for new nurses about this topic? Mm. Well, in 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 the sort of um, second guessing yourself after a tough call kind of scenario. Um. Well, first of all, I just tell everybody just to be really gentle and easy on themselves. 
um, know that this is not like a normal environment. This is a strange environment. Like we're, the work that we do, we're walking in this weird space where we see a bunch of stuff that most people don't see. And so, and we, you know, this is kind of on topic, but off topic, but as my friend who was on the podcast talked about who is a, a chaplain, he was saying, you know, we outsource death. Like we don't really, we don't talk about death. We don't, people don't normally see people dying and they're not normally intricately involved in that process. So it's just a really strange space. I always tell people to, um, get a therapist um, if like there's something that's like ruminating in your brain and you can't, you know, can't let it go. I would say I'll go talk to a professional. A lot of places have, you know, employee assistance programs where you get free counseling. Um, and I also say it gets easier with time and mostly, I mean, everybody I talked about these situations, it's like nobody did anything wrong. Like we're always like second guessing, like, should I have, should I have, you know, and I said this a minute ago, but like whether or not you did maybe X or Y didn't, doesn't really matter. Like the person was on this path, um, and like they were going to die, you know? Um, I think we get stuck in like the minutia mm -hmm. of, of these like fine details. Like, I don't remember. I remember when I was a really, like I was a baby nurse and I was taking care of this like really sick lady. She was so sick. She was totally septic. She was on multiple pressers. Um, somehow her arterial line came out, you know, like a line anyway it came out of her wrist and i was like convinced that somehow that a that was my fault um and also that, that had a significant impact on her dying looking back no she was in <laughs> she was in like three presser shock she was flurriedly septic she had stool coming that was basically in her Fright, you know, stool was in her peritoneum and, um, that she was going to die. And this, I, I really like hung on to this, like, Oh my God, I lost the A-line and maybe they're not going to be able to get the right blood pressure overnight. And then she did die. She died. And I was convinced like it was somehow related. Anyway, like, I think we just hold on to these like tiny decisions. And I think I'm sure you listened to the interview with Chris Finkston where he, Oh, he was like second guessing something about that tough call he had, but it, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. That tiny the little thing, like it wouldn't have made a difference. So I don't know. I, I mostly just tell people to just be really easy on themselves. Know that they did their best. Know that it's a crazy stressful environment. Um, and try to do your best to take care of your mental health. Um, and yeah, think about the big picture, I guess. Yeah. I don't that's, know if that's um, helpful. You know, I've, um, I'm lucky enough, like, so through the volunteer fire department, I have access 
to essentially like employee, employee assistant program type services, even though we're volunteers. Um, and then again, because I'm, I'm a very lucky person and I work at Google, I have access to employee assistance programs um, through Google. And they don't ask me whether I'm suffering, you know, because I work at Google or because I'm a volunteer EMT. Um, so I've been, I've been really lucky in that way. But again, it is still really weird to, um, most of my time is not spent in an environment of healthcare and then like dipping in and out um, can be int- uh, can be weird. One, one of the things I've tried to do, I was so impressed um, with this one, with Matilda um, in the fire department, who's like started community, who started the brunch, who like always wants people to get together. Um, so at Google, I've found some other people who are volunteer first responders and started a little um, support group. And it was really, um, we, you know, we have an email like chat group um, that we can talk and there's um, a couple of volunteer EMTs um, and some volunteer firefighters. And I found it really useful. I um, typed up kind of like my my PCR, my patient care report, um, being HIPAA compliant, of course, for the group um, and just force it to just tell them about it and what I had gone through and sort of forcing myself to go through it again to try to go through it and not like feel everything I felt Mm -hmm. while it was happening Mm -hmm. um and you know got some really nice and encouraging words including there's there's one gentleman who's you know been a volunteer firefighter and EMT for like 20 years um so you know has definitely has gone through this um I find now um, somebody asked me, um, oh, somebody asked me, you know, with the person who fell down in the street this weekend. And I said, oh, you know, I went and helped him. And they're like, oh, do you like, did you get like a rush of adrenaline or excitement? And I said, no, Um, you know, mostly because like somebody just fell down in the street. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably wasn't going to be that critical. But what I have found happens to me now is I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about things that could be really horrible. Like, oh. um, you know, um, I'm sitting um, I'm in a public <laughs> place and I see I see a really um, an elderly person and I'm like, yeah, that person, that person might drop. Um, and I think about the things that I would do as somebody who has, you know, a smidgen of, um, of uh, medical experience and education. And that I feel like gets the adrenaline going in my body and really activates my sympathetic nervous system. And I can kind of feel like a little tingly. And um, I definitely want that to stop. (laughs) I definitely want, I like, A, I don't want to constantly be thinking about people dropping all the time. Um, But also I want to be able to think about the things that I would do um, as an EMT without having that like stress response. Mm-hmm. I definitely have been there. I'm trying to think, I don't know. I don't really, um, I, the only thing that I would could recommend is just to cognitively be like, Oh, you know, David, there isn't actually an emergency happening right now. What you are thinking about, though, is like, 
planning for like what could really happen. And that's great. You know, thank you. Like, I mean, I think you're, that's what your brain's trying to do. I definitely, I mean, I've certainly been exactly in those situations. I don't know. I'm not, um, I don't know exactly what, what that is, but you're clearly like your brain's trying to help prepare you for yeah the future, but it's like adapted to your, uh, CNS, I mean, not your CNS, but your central, your sympathetic nervous system. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've definitely, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't, I, the only thing I could, yeah, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy is more like talking to yourself in the moment and catching it. Like, yeah, so that, like, that's, like, that, that's what I'm, um, um, working on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm like, I just don't, I mean, part of the thing about being a volunteer EMT, especially, so we, we in my district maybe get like a call a day. So just to think about how slow we are, mm-hmm. maybe once a day, somebody calls 911 for a medical emergency. Um, and again, I'm a volunteer, so I don't always go. Right. Yeah. How does that work? So do you sign up and say like, these are the days I can go or like. So we, we have, we, we try to sign up and commit to shifts like six hour shifts where you're not, we don't sit in the firehouse. You're just in the district and you're saying, if the pager goes off, I will respond. Um, so I sign up for some of those, but usually I tend to go because again, like you can have a six hour, I've had many six hour shifts where the pager just doesn't go off. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically I'll just go if I'm available during the day. I'll like, if the pager goes off, I'll look at my meeting schedule and I'll be like, Oh, I can miss those meetings. Um, so the one advantage to being a volunteer EMT and working at Google is when you miss a meeting and you tell the person I missed it because I'm a volunteer EMT, they're all like overly impressed and uh, <laughs> happy and happy to excuse your absence from the meeting um that's fun so um we do that i can do that or you know if i'm if i'm with my wife you know like i'm not working i'll just be like oh you know um a call came and and i'll go do it so but i don't do it that often um so it's like this constant struggle also even just to remember things Mm -hmm. to remember like ranges Mm-hmm. like for blood sugar and like not, you know, confuse that with the range for heart rate. Um, which again, I know you, most of the people who listen to your podcast are medical professionals, sorry, are medical no. professionals. Yeah. This sounds really silly, but for somebody who, you know, learned this in a 12 week course and then maybe uses that information once or twice a week, um, it's like a constant struggle to just like, remember all and then to to feel like you will remember the really important things when the time comes yeah it you know and by the way everybody had to learn it at some point so like we totally get it uh yeah you know i was thinking about yeah how how kind of how weird that is though like and now i'm a little bit more understanding of this like you know, you're, you, you're, when you're on your shift or like, you know, like you said, your friend who, who's the paramedic at the other, the firehouse or whatever, like when he's on shift, he's there, he's like primed and ready for anything for work, for that work, you know, and 
here you are like doing stuff, um, having your meetings or you're out in the community or you're doing stuff, but maybe you have the pager on. And so you could just, it's in your normal life. It's like embedded in your normal life. So that makes a lot more sense to me why you're like essentially seeing all these people and (laughs) priming your, I call it priming your brain for like, what would I, what would I do in this scenario? I think that'll get better. That'll get better for sure. That'll go yeah. away. I mean, because again, to be clear, like I'm, I'm a baby EMT, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're talking about when you were a baby nurse. Um, and it's, I also have to say it's interesting because um, as a um, older white man, I don't present as a baby EMT when I'm on a scene oh, right. or even when we go into the hospital and we're turning over care. Mm-hmm. Um people will like look at me and I'll have to, you know, point to the 22 year old woman and be like, no, actually she's in charge. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, it's actually really something it's done, like learning something new as an adult, right? I have like no background in any sort of medicine or healthcare. Um, I have a degree in theater, so it's not even like I did science in school. and it's really sort of taught me to be um, humble and like open to not knowing things. I um, when I took my EMT class, um, because um, EMTs don't make very much money and it's very much an entry level position. Most of the people in my class, um, you know, were like somewhere between. Actually, there was I think a seventeen year old taking it because I think in New York State you can be seventeen and be an EMT. Um, so there was like their ages range like mostly from like seventeen to twenty five um, were the range. And then here I am, you know, an adult. Um, no offense to our younger listeners. Um, <laughs> so I, um, um, I was taking notes and I felt like, of course, I should share these notes that I was taking, you know, in a Google doc with everybody in the class to like help everybody. Um, And some like people kept complimenting me about the notes or like being like, oh, you should look at David's notes if you have a question about trying to remember these things. And I had to put a message at the top of my doc to say, you need to remember that you know as much about being an EMT as I do. Right. We were all taking this class together. I didn't like know anything more than they did. Um, And I try to really remind myself when we go out that like I, well, I am um, maybe somewhat accomplished in my non EMT life with the things I've done and the experiences I have that when it comes to being an EMT, like I'm very much a baby EMT. I feel like what a wonderful life lesson. How, yeah. how beautiful is that? I, you know, it makes me think about it, how good it is to challenge ourselves to learn and do new things as adults. Yeah. And just have it like, like learn to like to be useful. Um, you know, I think it's like, I, um, maybe it's because um, I have a background in theater and I used to work professionally in theater and people who work and backstage, to be clear, not not on stage or in front of the camera. Um, and people who work backstage in theater tend to like just generally be competent in a lot of different situations. Um, stagehands um, just kind of like they know how to do a bunch of different things and they, they're in a lot of clutch situations. Um, again, 
not not the sort of clutch situations um, that you and your listeners are in, but like you know the show must go on type. You know, yeah, no high pressure. Happen. I get that though. It's high pressure, high stakes. You have people waiting on a performance, wanting everything to go right. You know, yeah. I get that. Yes, There's, there is um, pressure in that. Yes, and so um, I think from being in that world, I really sort of valued like competency. <laughs> for lack of um, a, a better term and um, it's and usefulness. And um, it's just really exciting to me to like learn how to do something, not just like for the sake of like knowledge pursuit, like I'm going to take an adult education course mm-hmm. um, or like I'm going to have a, you know, a hobby, which are like great if that's your thing. But like, I was really like, I, I don't, I want to learn something that I can actually like put to use and be helpful and be useful. Um, and like we 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 definitely need more volunteer EMTs. So that was a thing. You know, I think didn't this also come out of the pandemic? Like, were were you also feeling you were trying to help in a way too? Because like, cause I feel like was that part of it? Oh. Yeah, I have to. I you know, I have to be honest. It it, it wasn't a direct response. Um, I think. You know, I think when in my life, um, when I've like heard about other sort of like disasters that have happened, I've always had a little bit of like, oh, I wish I could, you know, be helpful or useful. Um, I remember when I was living in New York, um, when Hurricane Katrina happened, and I was like, I wish I like I had some skill um, mm-hmm. to be able to be useful in this situation. Um, it didn't really hit me that way. I think because the like disasterness of it was like confined to be in the hospital yeah we're just i clearly have like nothing um to to give in that situation um and it was actually really um it was also i mean the thing i think about the pandemic is i so i started responding to calls last year um in january of 2021 is when i started responding to calls and i like started taking my emt class later that month um, and I had been lucky enough during the pandemic that, um, my wife and I have been okay. And, you know, our loved ones and people sort of in our circle, um, if somebody did have COVID, it wasn't serious and they didn't end up, um, in the hospital. Um, and it definitely, um, I've definitely gone on some calls with patients who probably had COVID or did definitely have COVID and had been sent home and now had to go back to the hospital. Um, and it really, um, despite um, having um, all the vaccines available, definitely makes me want to wear my mask all the time and not ever get COVID. Um, and I, it's, and, and, you know, and it's interesting for me, I'll say in my office, um, so Google, um, you know, our offices are open and, um, this week um, that we're recording this, um, we're starting to have people come back to the office on a more regular basis. Um, and um, while um, I think we have a, a vaccine policy for being in the office, masks are optional, you know, strongly encouraged is the wording they use. Um, and I just look around at people um, not wearing their mask and I'm like, I will be wearing my mask. Um, and I definitely don't ever want to get COVID from, um, and I like definitely having the experience of um, going fast in the ambulance and, um, 
yelling at somebody to breathe who's desaturating and keeps passing out. Um, but drove that home for me. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and something that just, again, like the people I work with just don't have that. Right. Uh, so I work at Willy Wonka's yeah, chocolate yeah. factory. Um, I'm incredibly privileged to work here. The people I work with are incredibly privileged. Um, there's varying degrees of people realizing how privileged they are to work here and how privileged they are in their lives. And, um, that that disconnect um definitely um sort of like bothers me um i wish i could like do more to help people understand how serious this thing is that they don't they haven't necessarily felt the impact of yeah i know i wish man i wish we could have worn body cams uh yes like and had the footage live stream um because that would make people stop and think but you know even still some people would be like well that'll never be me that could never be me that could never be my loved one i would never give it to my loved one or or if i gave it to my loved one they wouldn't get sick and then they wouldn't end up in the hospital and you know it's like uh i don't know living in the river of denial (laughs) yes um i you know i think um like just not I mean, even like going away from the pandemic, I was, I mean, I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, if something happened to us in our house, in the district we live in, it's going to be like 15 minutes. You know, I live nine minutes away from the firehouse. So, and people have to get that page and stop what they're doing and get in their cars and go to the firehouse and make sure we have a driver and EMT to take the ambulance out and then drive nine minutes to my house. I was like, that's really scary. Um, yeah. Right. You must be deep in those woods. I, I'm not even, I'm not even that deep in the woods. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's, it's for people who, and this is me. I mean, I grew up in New York city. I've lived in like New York and the Bay area and, and Seattle. And like, you don't think about how rural, rural places are, or even just like, you know, we we have to cross a river and a bridge to get to the hospitals. Mm. Um, and like we have, you know, we, we, we do have like a flight service. Um, like I know you interviewed, you know, you know, Chris and Oliver who fly. So like we, you know, we have circumstances where we call on people for flight to get them to um, a, a level one trauma center. Um, but for most people, it's like, the pager goes off. It takes me about eight minutes to get to the firehouse. And then it's going to take us five or eight minutes to get to you. And then we have to, you know, even if it's like, oh my gosh, you obviously need to go to the hospital a few minutes on scene to like get you packaged up on a stretcher or like down that flight of stairs. Yeah. And that's not easy. No, especially we might only have two people. It might just be me and a driver who are like trying to get somebody you know, either in a, in a Reeves, which is a flexible stretcher to like taken, uh, cause they're like unresponsive or like packaged up in a stair chair to like take them down a narrow rickety flight of stairs in a messy house, um, onto the stretcher into the ambulance. And now we still have the 20 minutes, 25 minutes to the hospital and lights and sirens are great. But when you have curvy country roads, the lights and sirens only matter 
so like they're not going to get you there any faster. And I know, I know, I think it's um, uh, Chris uh, from EMS 2020 and him and Oliver are always talking about how, uh, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really get you there any sooner. And um, definitely in the rural area where, and that's absolutely true. So it, it could be a long time before we get you to that definitive care for when you first call 911. Right. Ooh. So that probably, does that make you feel like, oh, like with your talking to your wife, like, oh, honey, we got, we have to stay healthy. Keep our coronary arteries clean. Um, I mean, it more makes me want my wife to take a CPR class. Oh, my God. So that if something happens, she can start some good, high quality compressions. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we also like uh, just to give some context, you know, that we have we have a chief and two assistant chiefs who will respond to scenes directly. Uh, with their chief's cars and they have medical equipment. So like they could, you know, stop, they could put a tourniquet on, they could start CPR um, while the rest of us are doing stuff. Um, usually in our district, um, law enforcement will show up and they, you know, they're trained as, um, you know, I think it's like emergency medical responders. Like they all have CPR training and they can do stuff. Um, so th there are like some other elements at play. Um, mm -hmm in my district when you call i don't want to make it sound too dire and obviously again like most of the people calling 911 i don't want to say they're okay but they're not acute right mm -hmm. they're not um they don't need an intervention right now or there's going to be a problem hmm. i want to say this has just been a fascinating conversation i have loved every minute of it <laughs> um thank you Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Um, I um, I think it's so amazing what you do, what your guests do, what your listeners do. Uh, I am sort of just in awe um, of how you're able to do this incredibly hard thing um, and mm. not necessarily get paid very well, not necessarily be appreciated, like not only by like your patients, um, but also like by some of like your, the, the people you work with on your team. Hmm. Um, so it's a, such a challenging environment that you operate in. Uh, and so I've, I have been um, really grateful to be able to like listen to the stories on your podcast um, of the, the people who are doing this thing and get some understanding of, of what you're all going through. Mm. Well, thank you. I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate that. And I am sure the listeners appreciate it too. Uh, do you have any last closing thoughts? Um, if you live in, if you're new to a rural area, if you have dispersed during the pandemic to you used to live in a city and now you live in a more rural area, um, find out what the volunteer fire or EMS situation is like volunteer EMS is so much more prevalent than people who live in big cities realize they're incredibly understaffed. There's been a ton of articles about um, squads having to shut down. Mm. And so like for then for some people, I mean like, and you know, you Sam must be deep in the woods cause it's 20 or 25 minutes to the hospital. You know, there are people who are like 45 minutes or an hour away from a, what I think you would think of as like a real hospital. Okay. Um, and so those people like really are relying on, you know, some sort of cl clinician to get to them as soon as possible and, and start care and then a very long ambulance ride. Um, but, you know, if, um, 
if you can volunteer or you have uh, relatives or friends who are in a position to volunteer, I highly recommend volunteering. Um, it, it's really good for your community, but it's also just like a, such, I would have um, very few friends where I live now, having moved during the pandemic to a rural place, being a city person coming to the rural area, there's a whole thing that goes on with that too. Um, and now I have a really uh, good group of friends um, who I've met um, and can rely on and can rely on me um, and have brunch with every Sunday um, because I joined the fire department. So awesome, David. I just love it. Uh, oh man, it was so great to talk to you and um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for what you do and for being a guest on the show. I'm just going to say, um, I'll close this one out and say, stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.